I'm sitting in the sanctuary this Sunday morning, October 16th, 2022. The Sunday School Chapel has concluded and the students have gone to their classes. I have a moment to myself in this beautiful place. And I think what's going to be happening, including the preaching of the word today, it's going to be about the widow and an unjust judge and uh, Jesus using this as an example to persist in prayer. So I hope you'll enjoy this message uh, as I enjoyed writing it and practicing it. And um, our lector is, is Peter Svensson. He's one of our lay leaders. He's going to be reading from Jeremiah 31 and uh, selected verses from 2 Timothy and also our gospel reading, which gives us this parable, Luke 18, 1 through 8. So thanks for tuning in to the Red-Headed Preacher. And we, uh, again, I ask for uh, the Spirit to bless your listening and uh, thinking about what you hear. And so here's Peter. Our first reading is again from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 27 through 34. These oracles are believed to have come after 587 BC, which means after the Jerusalem temple had been destroyed and so many Jews were taken into exile in Babylon. God speaks of a future restoration and a new covenant. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days, they shall say no they shall they shall no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge but all shall die for their own sins the teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge the days are surely coming says the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and the house of judah it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another, or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This ends the reading from Jeremiah. Our epistle lesson is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 14, through chapter 4, verse 5. The writer does some urging for how to live faithfully in these days. But as for you, continue in 
what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message, be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry faithfully. This ends the reading from 2 Timothy. Will those who are able please rise, rise for the reading of the Gospel. This morning's lesson is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. While Jesus and the disciples make their way to Jerusalem for the final Passover, he taught them many things, including this parable. Then Jesus told the disciples a parable about their need to pray always and, to, and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when a son of man comes, he will find, will he find faith on earth? Here ends the reading from Luke and our scriptures for this morning. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, God's holy word. When I was the pastor of St. Nikolai UCC in Chicago, I was also active as clergy with the Logan Square Neighborhood Association, LSNA. I might have told this story once before. One of the things I did then was to be part of a small group of LSNA following the court case of a tenant versus his landlord, really an unresponsive slumlord. Time after time after time, we went downtown to the criminal courts building, the, the case was called, and although the plaintiff's side was ready, the defense asked for a continuance. 
and got it. Got them. It did not take long for me to suspect somebody might be paying off the judge since there was no apparent reason not to move forward, especially after three continuances, maybe more. For a while, I made sure to remember that judge's name because it was always the same judge. If it came up for retention on a ballot, I would vote against him. But I've also had to do with the good judge, too. A friend or member of church uh, of the church long ago was in legal trouble. I accompanied this person and family members to court when I could. I spoke with the judge in chambers at one point, not only as a character reference, but also because I thought that my time at Trenton State Prison as a student chaplain and a Cook County Jail as a religious volunteer would give me some credibility in my reference. You know, I've been exposed long enough, I can read through BS. This judge gave this person every opportunity and could have handed down a much harsher sentence. As it was, the next few years for this person were hellish, but that person's situation could have, made a lot, could have been made a lot worse because that judge chose not to. His name I remember, and I think he's retired now. I've known others of you all who have or did have supreme frustration or anger over the legal or justice system. Maybe you know what it's like for the other side to get continuance after continuance after continuance after continuance while you must keep waiting and waiting and waiting. We are all also familiar with grief or anger at the legal system or judges on a larger scale. Take the Supreme Court decision in Shelby v. Holder in 2013, where key parts of the 1965 Voting Rights Act were, the same verb is always used, gutted. Speaking for the 5-4 decision, the Chief Justice said that the pre-clearance formula enacted in that historic Voting Rights Act, which required certain states to get federal approval to make changes in the voting laws was no longer applicable. He reasoned that the policy had been so successful at curbing discriminatory election practices that it was no longer justified. I believe we have since found that he was wrong, as many states and local jurisdictions, and not all in the South and West, have been set free to change things which now place minorities and the poor in some of these situations at a disadvantage in exercising the franchise. Other recent decisions have also stirred the pot of what is justice and what is injustice. What to do? And what is a person of the book to do? We can shrug our shoulders, more or less stop trying to effect pro-justice change in the face of unjust judges or systems, and take comfort rather instead in the scripture which affirms, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. We do not have to be talking about vengeance. James chapter 1 verse 20 teaches us that our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. I do not think, however, that doing nothing in the face of injustice helps promote justice or really shows love for our neighbors. 
In fact, when you see a social media post that lists many different, I've seen this on Facebook more than once, when you see a social media post and it'll list many different, but not very different, versions of the golden rule, they're all negative or passive. That which you do not want done to yourself, do not do to another. That's passive. Don't do this. Jesus' teaching alone, and I've seen one other one that was close to it in a positive way. Jesus' teaching alone in the midst of all these is proactive when he and the Torah teach, do unto others what you would have done unto you. That's proactive. It's not passive. It's positive. Having said all this and asked a few questions, what do we learn from the gospel this morning? Well, first off, we know and hear that prayer is an essential part of what Jesus wants to convey in the parable. Chronic prayer. As we heard Peter read, then Jesus told them a parable about, about, about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. What follows is an example of prayer in action. But first we meet the judge in the story. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. This guy does not revere God, but that does not mean he cannot be a fair or good judge. But he also has nothing but contempt for other human beings. Such is Jesus' harsh characterization of him. And in verse 4, the judge even says that of himself. We hear, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, United Church of Christ pastor Cheryl Lindsay wrote, the judge, if anything, personifies injustice itself. He does not care about anything outside of his own interests, divine or human, and seems quite proud of that fact. It's not just Jesus' characterization. The judge defines himself in that manner. And she continued, Injustice boldly and unapologetically disdains compassion and sympathy. It will not be bothered by the cares and concerns of the creator or of creation. The judge is not only a barrier to justice, as one given authority and responsibility to render it, his refusal to even hear her case means the judge embodies injustice. How can one ever expect to receive justice from injustice? Well, it was suggested in something I read that there is some humor in these exaggerated character sketches. Well, if there is any humor there in their exaggerations, uh, John T. Carroll, another commentator, reminds us that they name what he calls the stark reality. Within Rome-occupied Palestine in the first century, but in other times and places as well, of oppression and injustice suffered by persons to whom the judicial, economic, and political systems continually turn a cold, silent, shoulder. What is the antidote? What is a person centered in the good news of the Bible to do? Well, now we meet the heroine of our parable, the widow. Jesus continued, in that city there was a widow who kept coming to him. 
and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. And let's remember that in those centuries, widows were socially marginalized and economically precarious. For this reason, widows were persons of special concern in the legal systems and social customs of the ancient Near East. By extension, widows became, along with orphans and the poor, symbols of the disadvantaged and vulnerable. And their protection became a particularly, particular, of particular duty to the powerful. That it is a widow, then, who importunes the judge for justice places an additional burden on the judge to do right. Now, she is vulnerable but nevertheless is a scrappy, aggressive, courageous advocate on her own behalf. She nags and nags and nags the judge. Jesus said she kept coming to him. The judge finally decides to yield because she about wore him out. We heard Peter read from the new RSV, the NRSV, though I have no fear of God, and no respect for anyone. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Now in my Bible, there's one of those letters, those small letters in an italic, italic shape in very small font at the end of that sentence. And you know what that means? It means check the footnote that has that little letter by it at the bottom of the page. So I did. And it gives an alternate translation. Instead of, so that she may not wear me out, this alternate rendering is, so that she may finally come and slap me in the face. <laughs> John Carroll also gives a different understanding to the earlier part of that sentence, where Luke has the judge saying, the widow keeps bothering me. He gives it because this widow is pummeling me. I will give her justice so that she may not come and slap me in the face. So this widow's antidote, and it is nonviolence, this widow's antidote is to be even more relentless in pursuit of justice than injustice is in pursuit of its own selfish ends. Be more relentless in pursuit of justice than injustice is in its pursuit of its own selfish ends. The widow's antidote. That widow does not pray to the judge, and the judge is not to be equated with God, or rather God is, the judge is like the anti-God. The widow does not pray to the judge, she demands what she knows is her due. She does not approach the judge with humility, but with confidence. She does not appeal to his sense of reason or compassion, because it seems that she knows it will not get her anywhere. Rather, she learns that her power is in her persistence and her compassionate conviction that she is due what she is, she is demanding. She will not meekly quit after a bit and shrug her shoulders in a helpless despair. Again, Pastor Lindsay is helpful. After looking at the parable and the widow's approach, her form of, her form of constant prayer, she asks, how many times in human history have people suffering under oppressive, unjust systems have been told to wait. If only they are patient, the argument goes, 
Their oppressors will tire of the benefits they receive from subjugating or saying no to that group of people. How often has the realization of the kingdom of God been diverted? How often has the realization of the kingdom of God been diverted by those who seek to keep a tenuous and false peace through compromise, incrementalism, and procrastination? And that reminds me of the title of Martin Luther King Jr.'s book in 1964 called Why We Can't Wait. And how in his letter from a Birmingham jail, he assailed his white moderate clergy colleagues for their tepidness and it being a break on the movement. He foreshadowed words of the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. And pertaining to what uh, was quoted uh, by, you know, I was quoting from Reverend Lindsay, a tenuous false peace through compromise, procrastination, and incrementalism, Benjamin Franklin wrote, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Some situations may need many more than one widow acting in concert with their gifts, their faith, and their determination. I was reminded on the radio uh, this morning of the Women's March of uh, just a few years ago, acting in concert with gifts, faith, and determination. This reminds me also of the often hated tactics of activists in examples of blocking traffic to bring attention to their cause. And you may get mad at them, especially if you're the one that's backed up now because and you're, in tra- you're trying to get somewhere. But if you learn about what they're upset about and don't want to be neutral, so you learn, you might, you might see their point. You might even join the cause. And let's also remember the context that Jesus told this parable to guide his disciples preparing them for the coming kingdom and their participation in it. Pray always and never lose heart. That, Luke said that was Christ's intent in the telling of this story. And then he tells the story of this widow pushing back against an unjust judge for justice to be done. Jesus' parables take someone from the margins of a from the, a margin of the margins, really, a widow who's in legal trouble and places her in the center as the model of the behavior he wants his closest disciples to emulate in the life that really is life. The widow prevailed. She beat City Hall, as it were. Injustice lost. The woman who normally would not have been seen or heard not only gained the judge's attention when she wanted it, she wore him out. She does not change him, yet her endurance pays off. She wins the case because she does not give up or settle for less than what is right or good. The lesson of persistence in prayer remains embedded in the story. As John Carroll suggests, it would seem the steady pursuit of righteousness 
And it is its own form of prayer, persistent prayer. The widow's antidote to injustice is to be even more relentless in pursuit of justice than injustice is in its pursuit of its own selfish ends. The widow did not rest until she received her justice. She did not let the unjust judge rest either. To be a follower who listens to Jesus' teaching, may that be our prayer, our consistent, constant, relentless prayer, and when possible, our practice. Amen. Well, here I am sitting in my wife's car with Amy Grant playing in the background from her CD, Legacy, Hymns of Faith. And uh, yeah, that's Hymns and Faith. And I found out after the service that uh, for the YouTube uh, worshipers, our service cut out partway through. So the, uh, the, the sermon wasn't available, or I, that's what I've been led to believe. So the podcast is uh, the way to go to make sure, for now, that uh, the reception of the message, including the scriptures, is ensured. Now, for the YouTube uh, folks, there is a backup camera, and maybe it will be restored, but the sound was in and out as it was. So I just want to encourage those of you who are uh, following the podcast or listening when you can uh, to give thanks, uh, kind of pat yourself on the back, and because sometimes this is, it can turn out this is the only way you're going to get the, get uh, the redheaded preacher on a regular basis instead of on YouTube if you can't be here on Sunday morning, uh, which of course you are welcome if you're in the area Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the corner of Oakton Street and Laramie Avenue. So thanks again for tuning in as always, and may God bless you, and may God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much 